It isn't really always about calmness, which is, I think, a misconception. I can be mindfully really pissed off, you know? <laughs> I can just know I'm really pissed off. But I still have this yeah. awareness of like, you know, I'm really mad. And these are the things I'm thinking and these are the impulses I have. But I can still sort of decide, you know, am I going to... I think I could even mindfully be insulting to somebody. It's really about knowing what's happening and choosing the reaction with some level of consciousness. It's not the specifics of it, it's more the awareness part of it. Hello and welcome to Tomversations. That's T-H-O-M-versations where the H makes all the difference. How the H are you? I'm Tom Kilcane, your host, and today I Tomversate, and I think I just invented a new word. I Tomversate, you Tomversate, we Tomversate. We are having a conversation Today I Tomversate with Dr. Jamie Derrick about mindfulness. She is the University of Idaho Mind Founder and Mindfulness Educator Facilitator at the University of Idaho and is a practicing psychologist who uses mindfulness to help her patients. So, what is mindfulness? How do you do it? Why do you do it? You'll find out. Plus, you'll learn a little bit about the human condition and how mindfulness can help. And did you know that mindfulness is being taught to school kids? It is. And it appears to be helping quite a bit. And I think that you will enjoy this conversation with Jamie Derrick. She's pretty cool. And since we chatted, Tom Versated, I've been practicing mindfulness nearly every day. And I like it. It kind of keeps my mind open and aware of what's around me. I feel more appreciative what's there. And one practice I did, this just really blew me away. The instructor has you gaze at whatever's before you with soft eyes and look for your own head. Notice that your head is not one of the things you see. What is it like to see the world? And also notice that your head does not appear in it. What? Are you kidding me? You want me to try do what? So try it. Next time you do a mindfulness exercise or meditation, think about what that will do for your awareness. Think about not, not being able to see your head. It's a world where you just gaze at things and your consciousness is just there without your head. Whoa. Wow, I am so hooked on mindfulness. I am hooked. Something else I want you to know about is that uh, Jamie will lead you in a brief mindfulness exercise during this podcast. And I suggest that you do it right along with us. And maybe you want to hear it first to know what it's like. That's cool. Then go back and maybe try it with us. It just takes a few minutes, but give it a whirl. Something else you should give a whirl is a good beer from the Moscow Brewing Company. It's located right here in Moscow, Idaho, in the good old US of A. I really want to thank the owner, Aaron, for sponsoring this show. And they are committed to creating the highest quality ales from ingredients found throughout the inland Northwest locally grown grains and hops. The quality of flavor and consistent quality, it, it will leave you wanting more. Stop in today and enjoy a selection of ales that feature flavorful IPAs. I had a black IPA last night. Choice. Uh, also, they have rich stouts, so everything in between. 
Check out Moscow Brewing Company on Facebook and at Moscow Brewing on Instagram. And if you or someone you know would like to sponsor this podcast, please send me an email. T-H-O-M-K-O-K-E-N-G-E at gmail.com. TomCocaine at gmail.com. All right, let's get into it. Let's get mindful. Let's talk to Jamie Derrick. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, (laughs) I'm Jamie, uh, Jamie Derrick. I work at the University of Idaho as a professor of psychology, and I'm a licensed clinical psychologist. I see people in private practice, and I teach mindfulness on campus. I um, founded the UI Mind Mindfulness Program, and I teach drop-in classes and do lots of public speaking on the topic. I'm a mom of two amazing young adult children, and... I used to be married, but I'm not married anymore. I got two cats and a dog, and yeah, just a really nice, simple little life here in Moscow. Yeah, it sounds good. Yeah. So the main reason why I asked you to come and do this is Mm -hmm. because my wife, Elise, Mm -hmm. had done a a mindfulness practice, I guess, where you, Mm -hmm. uh, for, it was like a weekend or something, I believe. Oh, the retreat. Yeah. Yeah, she did a retreat. First thing I want to ask is, what is mindfulness? Okay. Uh, Mindfulness is really a practice. It's a skill. I think of it as a skill. So mindfulness is um, learning to be aware of your experience in the moment. So whatever's happening um, and to allow it to be without too much reaction. You know, we can't control all of our reactions, but without too much reaction and with a lot of like spaciousness around whatever might be coming up. And from that place of uh, being aware and being pretty open, there's a lot of room for discovery. I think we um, disconnect from a lot of personal experience because we're busy changing it or reacting to it or not wanting it or wanting something more different. And being with opens up this avenue for being very connected to what is. And I find that to be number one, it goes against the tendencies in our culture. So it's a, it's a new skill and it the discoveries that occur there at that edge of just being with and getting to know yourself are pretty amazing. Uh, they don't come without, I don't think, without some kind of practice of being aware like that. When you're talking about being aware, well, yeah. give me an idea of like, uh, how do I become aware or what is this? How do I practice in an everyday life, I guess, is yeah. what I'm getting at. Yeah. Uh, well, we do it all the time. I don't, it's not anything that's remarkably new. It's just, there's a part of our mind or a part of our being that knows what's going on. So if I said to you, um, how are you feeling? Like what's the, what's your dominant emotion in this moment? You would probably do a little reflection inwardly and check in with something inside and you could probably come up with a response. Okay. But generally you go, Hey, how are you doing today? People go, Oh, I'm good. You know, right. Or I'm fine. Yeah. You just, that's just the the standard pat answer because we right. we say it all the time here in the United States. Right, and it doesn't have awareness in it necessarily. It's just a that's just a routine conversation. Mm-hmm. That's just my role, your role. You say a response to the thing I say, mm-hmm. but if I say how are you feeling and sort of create an invitation for you to actually tell me how you're feeling, mm-hmm. there's a part of you that can check in and notice. And the part of you that checks in and notices is aware. That's awareness. So that it's developing a really, I think, 
uh, comfortable and strong relationship to that aspect of who we are that knows what's going on and pays attention to it um, moment by moment by moment. Yeah. I did a little bit of Googling and yeah. tried to mm-hmm. look up information. And yeah. what was funny is that I looked up, uh, just typed in, what is the definition of mindfulness? Yeah, yeah. And what's funny is that I couldn't pay attention to it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just yeah. kind of scanned it. I yeah. wasn't really paying attention yeah. because I wasn't very mindful yeah. of what I was doing. Yeah. I wasn't really, because I was thinking like, oh, I've got this thing I need to do. I've got this, uh, what's my next project I have to accomplish? This yeah. is just one thing at a whole bunch of lists. Yeah. So what is it that mindfulness can do to someone on a, a day-to-day basis when it comes to that too like there's mm-hmm. a lot of chatter in the mind yeah. doesn't it have to a lot to do with also um a meditation or is that just a very small part of it um a lot of mindfulness and meditation get sort of blended together like they're the same thing and um we can be mindful doing anything mm-hmm. actually it's a it's a it's a skill that we can bring to anything and your question about um how would it change things in my day-to-day life? How is it, you know, what do I do? Most of us are running on autopilot much of the time where there's stuff running in our minds and there's stuff happening in our bodies, but we aren't really that aware of it. Like there's only so much space in in us to process whatever's happening. And um, so we don't know how we feel. And lots of times we're caught up in, in uh, ruminations that are about things that, we don't care about or we run through mental loops that are repetitive and they happen over and over again, but they don't make us feel very good. Um, And what mindfulness is doing is inviting us to notice what's happening like right now in this moment and then how it feels and what it's connected to, like thoughts are connected to emotions and thoughts and emotions are connected to impulses to start to really understand the dynamics inside and from that kind of place of knowing like how I feel and what I'm thinking about and how my thoughts are impacting me I can begin to like make conscious decisions about what I want to do what I don't want to do what's good for me what serves me what doesn't what habits are just you know like I don't even know they're going on Sometimes at the end of my day, I will like do a review back through my day and I'll remember these moments that are actually are quite lovely and rich, like an interaction with a person or maybe something that happens in nature. And I won't have had time to actually really feel what was happening in that moment. And when I look back on it, I'm like, oh yeah, there was this moment where that person's smile really like made my heart happy. And I didn't have enough time in the moment to feel that and to really experience that. And I think what mindfulness does is it gives us spaces to have that more complete experience when it's actually happening. Uh, It requires slowing down, not doing quite as much at at the particular moment so that you can have all those experiences. What I'm getting from you is that mindfulness is a continuous practice. Mm-hmm. It's not just something you you sit and be mindful. Mm-hmm. It's an it's a all day, twenty four hours a day, except when you're sleeping. I assume. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where uh-huh. you just you are trying to uh, be more aware of what's going on and how it affects you and how you are affecting people. Yeah, absolutely. And then meditation is a is a 
particular activity where you can build mindfulness. Like it's a, it's not that easy to do it actually in a fast-paced Meditation, life. Meditation, you mean? Mindfulness. Oh, oh okay. I, I, most of us are not particularly mindful most of the time. And meditation is an is a uh, practice to improve connection to awareness, and actually the ability to be present to. So that my, when you're mindful, it's not just the good stuff, right? It's the messy stuff and the uncomfortable stuff. And meditation for me is like an opportunity to learn in a pretty safe, easy way how to be present mindfully when I'm not exactly comfortable. Uh, meditation for most people has some physical challenges. It's not super interesting. You're not doing anything but being aware in the moment, usually of breath or something physical. And those that being able to learning to be able to be present to uh, a little bit of boredom, a little bit of um, distraction, a little bit of longing to be doing something different, is a great opportunity to start to build a relationship to the moments that are not as pleasant in life. And that's mostly what, when people are looking for skills that will improve life, what they're mostly looking for are skills that will help them deal with things that are negative, their negative emotions or their disappointments or the way their own mind is creating criticism or self-judgment like we don't need that much help with the stuff that's easy yeah so this is a practice that you sort of learn how to be present to it all to be aware of it all and let it be more or less how it is you know when you're talking about this you know the what i see as maybe a possible um uh, major issue with Uh mindfulness in today's world is the smartphone Oh gosh. Yeah. Because yeah. it's I catch myself doing it all the time. Like oh, yeah. I mean just the tiniest bit bored bust out the smartphone. Totally. Yeah. And what let's see what's happening on whatever platform. Yeah. Or even, you know, have a thought about, you know, what type of tires are on my car? You have to Google it in yeah. your car. You know, yeah. you're so yeah. you're always yeah. constantly trying to input yeah. information without so what you're saying is stop. Yeah. Or at least slow down. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think our technology is built to distract us. I mean, it's part of why we like it. I mean, I enjoy it too. It's and it's very easy to get caught into like paths of curiosity, really, mm-hmm. um, or connection to other people, and um, it's really pulling us out of the moment. Often, um, you know, there's when I teach my mindfulness class, I show this little video uh, to people of somebody who has their phone in there, like videoing their own birthday party where people are singing them happy birthday. So there's this way in which like we want to capture it, which is lovely in a way, but we're not with it and experiencing it and feeling it the same way when we're behind a camera. Yeah, we have to have a third dimension almost yeah. like, well, I guess we are 3D, but <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're, we, act, we can't just see through our own eyes. We have to see through a device to see everything yeah. else around us. And, and hold it, capture it, and then share it. So, so we're thinking ahead to the future of who and where we'll share it. And I don't want to lose this because this is so special, but in a way we're not even enjoying it when it's actually happening. Maybe not as fully as could be possible. In, like, <laughs> Uh, this uh, you're, we're talking about videoing and you know being mindful and yeah. 
it, it, we had uh, Elise and I had our our wedding videotaped, right? Yeah, this yeah. Is, or videoed. Yeah. And uh, never seen it. Never oh. watched it. Oh, interesting. And I wonder if uh-huh. that's because I was too in the moment. Yeah. Like, you know, I was there. I, there was nobody yeah. more in it than I was at yeah. that time. Yeah. And so, you know, I have no, I have no desire to watch it from yeah. a third different yeah. perspective. Yeah. 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 It, what is that? I don't know what that's going to get me. But at the time before it, you're thinking, oh, yeah, video it. And then, then you have that thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally agree with you. Um, the, you know, mindfulness grows out of the traditions of the East, m- many of the spiritual traditions. And in the Buddhist tradition, one of the really important kind of messages or, or um, tenets is to let things go, that everything is dynamic and changing and that we have it for a moment and then it passes. And to be able to sort of integrate that into life, like this beautiful moment, I can love it and enjoy it and then it passes. And then there'll be another one, hopefully. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. so I think that like... So far, uh, so good. Yeah, exactly. Um, in, I think in our culture, like we really want to hold on to things, right? We want to capture them in picture. We want to have the video. And sometimes it's just beautiful to be fully present to the moment and then let the moment go. Uh, so does that, you think, um, I know that's not, that's, that's well, my mind is worrying about, uh, like our culture. You talk about, uh, yeah. uh different cultures. Yeah. And I wonder if, because we are such a consumerist culture, mm-hmm. that it's something that we have to have. Yeah. That's a great point. It's a great question. It, it does feel like, I mean, they talk about it in the traditions of Buddhism as clinging, right? Like holding it, like it is sort of, uh, owning it or possessing it and and not wanting to lose it, not wanting to let go, not wanting to um, acknowledge sometimes I think that things are are temporary, yeah, yeah, it's all temporary, it's all temporary, and that yeah. yeah that I don't really want to go down the all temporary path, <laughs> yeah, I get it, I get it it's not it's not that but there but I think like for me, one of the ways in which that um it's not dark and negative is is to recognize like this moment of watching anything that's occurring. Like we're having a conversation and mm-hmm. seeing, you know, the expression change in your face and like your engagement when we're talking is is a lovely moment and I can be I can I can really be present and enjoy it if I'm not trying to make it into anything else, anything that I need to keep the same. Like uh I sit in my at my house in the morning. One of the things I really like to do is have a morning cup of tea, and I have these big windows and a garden outside. and And when the weather's a little nicer than it is now, there's lots of birds that come and visit, and I love to watch them flit around. and so, They do their bird song, and there's something about like I can just enjoy that, and then they're gonna fly away and be gone. And it doesn't diminish it in any way. It allows me to just kind of be really present to it and. That if I were to like want to take a picture or want to take a video or to hold on to it so I'd have it later, I'd kind of miss that it was happening. So there's something t- that's comforting to me in knowing that when I approach things as like it's a meant to come and it's meant to go, then I can just enjoy it for what it is. I'll go back to my wife again. Yeah. Because uh, she's... Uh, she is great. I was complaining like, oh my, there's more snow on the way. We have quite a bit of snow. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe a couple feet, would you yeah, say? Yeah. Something like that. Uh, and uh, let's over the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Really. Yeah. And 
And so I was going, oh man, more snow is supposed to come. She goes, oh boy, more snow. <laughs> and I'm like, why are you so excited? She goes, well, think about it. How many months of the year actually have snow in them? Uh-huh. You know, we basically are going to have one month where uh-huh. snow is. And if you look at how many days it is with 365, it's very few days. Yeah. So enjoy the snow. Uh-huh. <laughs> and she really likes the snow uh, and good for her. But, you know, I, I'm okay with not as much snow where it's, it mm-hmm. causes problems. Yeah. But there, there you are. Well, like she'll sit out. We were sitting at breakfast looking mm-hmm. out the window and it's snowing. Yeah. She's just like, look how beautiful it is. Mm-hmm. The snow, the big flakes. Yeah. And it is very beautiful yeah. when, you're, when you actually sit and consider of just the marvel of our yeah. lives. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that's part of what this practice is really. I, I think that kind of mindfulness isn't realistic for every single minute. We, sometimes we need to like get going and get things done and mm-hmm. paying attention to the f- full range of experiences inside and outside isn't necessary in every single moment. But t- to have the capacity to do it and the comfort with doing it sort of enlarges beautiful moments like that. And I think for me as a psychologist, one of the most important things is that it, it connects us to ourselves so many of us are disconnected from ourselves and we don't, we kind of override all these wishes inside, you know, I like work at the university with students and, and they don't sleep and they eat, you know, food on the run and they're starving and they're like tired and they're exhausted and they're anxious, but they're not actually sort of connecting to the experience of all of that enough to say, this doesn't feel good and I should sleep. Mm. They just keep running on, I don't know what it is, like, uh, I have to. And uh, like a, this is the way people act when they're in college and everybody is tired and we don't slow down so much. And the importance of really connecting and realizing, no, I'm sleepy or I, I get anxious when I don't get enough sleep or if I eat, if I drink too many cups of coffee, I get this jittery feeling and I can't sit still in class. Like to really connect to what's happening opens up a doorway for self-compassion and self-care that it, like we just do a better job of taking care of ourselves when we're paying attention to what we're really experiencing. How can we do that? Can you give me like a, like a quick lesson on like how the average person, myself, can do this day to day? When do you, do you just kind of, how do you get into that mode? Um, great question. Well, I think that the meditation practice is the starting point. I think that's one of the reasons why these two practices get so linked together. Mm. Um, that they're but, they're but they're not. They're, I mean, they're not the same. They're not the same. We are learning to be mindful in meditation. It's sort of like if you're learning to play an instrument, you do like you practice the yeah. scales or uh-huh. whatever. Uh-huh. It's like practicing the scales so you can eventually go play a song. So meditation to me is like practicing the scales. You're learning the skill of mindfulness so you can bring it into life day to day, which is a little more challenging. I think it's a little more challenging to do. So um, in meditation, really the practice is about, you know, shutting your eyes, turning inward, um, and really feeling the physical experience of breath initially and emotion and sometimes noticing the passing of your own thoughts and what is happening simultaneously with each thought. And that, that sort of um, 
to me creates the awareness that all this stuff is happening all the time Mm -hmm. and where it's felt and what it feels like. So when I'm in my day-to-day life now, I will just check in. I'll sort of be walking down the sidewalk and paying attention to what's happening, you know, in my world. And I'll check in and I'll just notice, like, what am I feeling right now? You know, oh, there's a little anxiety moving. Or if I'm in a challenging situation where somebody's annoying me or uh, being rude or something, and I'll notice this flash of feeling come up. It's not just flash and then say something. It's like, oh, that's my anger, you know, and I'm noticing the changes in my body and I'm noticing the way my thoughts are changing. So I'm aware of all those things that are happening. And I can say, don't say anything <laughs> right now. <laughs> this is anger. You've got a lot of judgmental thoughts happening. This is a time to, you know, being aware. Being aware. So my, you're yeah. mindful yeah. of what's going on in your physical body and in your mental state. Yeah, exactly. That's mindfulness and basically, yeah. could, I, is that, could that be said? Or? The one other piece of it is that the awareness is, it's like that's one hand. The other hand is letting it be what it is. So sometimes our, we'll be aware of a feeling arising and we don't like that it's arising. Like, I don't like this one. I don't want to feel sad or I don't want to feel anxious or this isn't a moment for me to feel whatever, you know. And so we'll judge it or we'll try to modify it or we'll try to um, quiet it and push it to the back. We're trying to change it, essentially. So the mindfulness practice is really let it be what it is, right? Like, if if anger is arising in me, no matter what, even if I don't like it, it's like, okay, this is my anger. Let me be present to my anger, you know, and if it's really hard, you know, like sadness, grief, let me be kind to myself that I am experiencing something as difficult as anger or grief or sadness. So it's the awareness and acceptance, I think, allowing, letting it be what it is. That's mindfulness. Hmm. You know, I, I don't... People, let's see, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm kind of struggling because I don't really want to say the, but I'm just going to say it. Okay. Is that I can, it sounds new agey. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. oh, be mindful, be, you know, yeah, be yeah, present. Yeah. Yeah. Be, you know, yeah. I guess when I use that accent, it's, you know, yeah, say, yeah you know, yeah. Just be present, yeah. be, be kind. I totally but, get that. Yeah. But, but when, but you're really saying, you know, think about what you're doing and then is what I'm about to do the correct thing that I should do? In right. that situation, yeah. instead of just erupting, yeah, where people have a hard time controlling their anger, yeah, or, or uh, then that they could have a whole range of issues as to why they can't control their anger. But generally, the regular person, you think about that and uh, and you act on it, or you don't. Yeah, and there's a choice. Yeah, everything is a choice. Isn't yeah, it? and that's uh, to me that's one of the great gifts because we realize, oh, I. Ha- I mean, there's freedom in choice, right? Mm. If I can choose what I'm going to do at least some amount of the time, even if it's not 100%, it's given me the freedom to sort of craft the life I prefer. Yeah. Yeah. When you're crafting that life, that it doesn't just affect you, it affects everyone around you. Mm-hmm. So part, I'm guess, so what, what I'm gathering from all of this is that mindfulness is kind of be the change you seek. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and people respond to it. Like they talk about, you know, if there's a, a, a boat on the ocean and it's sinking, if there's one person who has a, a clear head and a steady mind and says, Let, let's not panic, 
let's look at what's happening, let's make some choices, like we can do this, we can do that, then everyone else around them will start to calm down. But if there's no one that has that kind of containment, it can just lead to kind of mass panic. So the one of the benefits of being around people who have some awareness is it helps you to calm down too. Our, our emotions are contagious in a way, positive mm-hmm. and negative. Mm-hmm. So if I stay calm or I stay centered or even like it isn't really always about calmness, which is I think a misconception about mine. I can be mindfully really pissed off, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I can just know I'm really pissed off. But I still have this yeah. awareness of like, you know, I'm really mad. And these are the things I'm thinking, and these are the impulses I have, but I can still sort of decide, you know, am I going to, I think I could even mindfully be insulting to somebody. It's really about knowing what's happening and choosing the reaction with some level of consciousness. It's not the specifics of it. It's more the awareness part of it. Huh. You know, I had read that, uh, uh, meditation is one of the fastest growing things in a, in the United States. Yeah. Um, is is this something that's taught in schools? Yeah, yeah, they're doing. Uh, it's been brought into like all sorts of you know organizations. So elementary schools were one of the first places where they started teaching children how to calm themselves, how to take a break. Elementary school. Elementary school. Yeah. Do you know where? All over the place. Like it's, I mean, I, I, my training, my mindfulness training was done in California. So I'm aware of the California schools, but they have whole training programs where teachers are, are taught to do basic mindfulness skills with their students. And they find that it actually reduces behavioral problems and um, children learn how to cope with their feelings. You know, even if there are feelings that come from home. That's very difficult for a kid. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But they're taught these skills like be aware. Oh, I'm sad or I'm angry. This is a moment where they give them some things to do. I can take three deep breaths or I can, you know, I can go for a walk around the, around the playground. Um, it's come into university settings. That's one of the things that I've done at University of Idaho. I was like, this is a mindfulness program. I've taught classes for credit where students can learn it. I have a drop-in meditation where student staff, faculty, and even community members can come in. And so that's an organization. It happens in businesses. Um, it's good for the bottom line, apparently, but it's also good for humans, you know, just uh, Aetna was one of the first companies that um, brought mindfulness into their company and they studied the impacts and people utilized their medical benefits far less. They were healthier cardiovascularly. Their um, physiology was calmer when they did like heart rate and all of that kind of stuff. So just by practicing mindfulness. Meditation. Oh, meditation. Yeah. So uh, the many of these these studies, like that, are done in schools or universities or businesses. They they set up a um, kind of a standard class of about eight weeks, and people learn to meditate and they practice meditating together, and they do like a before and an after. How were they before on these various measures, and how are they after? Hmm. So that's kind of the classic study. Um, yeah. yeah. And they found improvement. Found improvement. It's pretty pretty remarkable, actually, across the board. Um, improvements physically, cognitively, performance. I mean, awareness and focus, actually, you know, like we do better when we're paying attention to what we're doing. So this... this Weird. <laughs> I know, it's crazy. Uh, and the, so this practice improves all sorts of performance. So it's been used in performance settings, you know, athletics and stage performance and 
academic performance, like all just, and it's pretty robust. It's a pretty robust finding. You know, there's, um, there's someone who uh, I've uh, taken quite a bit of stock in when it comes to mental acuity. Maybe have you ever mm-hmm. heard of uh, uh, Tony Robbins? You know, he's basically um, teaches how you can control what's going on in your mind and how you can focus mm-hmm. it uh-huh. to achieve anything. Oh, uh, interesting. That's basically, uh, yeah, that, that how you can control or take what's going on in your mind and access it to create better things. Yeah. Yeah, I think it, um, it has some parallels. It's, it sounds like it has some parallels. Yeah, I just don't know his work, so I, I don't know how to comment on it. But it does sound, I mean, it, when you think about it, our minds are powerful, right? Mm. And if we use our minds effectively, we're going to be more successful. And this practice, and maybe the work that he's doing is similar, this practice helps us to use our minds in more effective ways uh, by being aware, being allowing things to happen the way they do, and then recognizing that there's this choice point in our action so that we can as I said before, kind of craft the outcomes that we prefer to some extent and also how to respond. Like there's things we can't control, you know, like things that just happen, how to respond to those um, without making it worse through our reactions. You know, that's going to provide a lot of space in having a different kind of life. Hmm. There's another person I was looking up, or who I've I've recently come in contact with, is Sam Harris. Have you heard of you know of Sam Harris? Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think of what he's got going on? Uh, I don't know his work really well, but I I mean the, what I'm aware of is the um, app, uh, phone app for mm-hmm. mindfulness, and those things are really really helpful to people. There's like a whole bunch of them. There's been a pro- because mindfulness and meditation has become so popular, and it's a, it's brought into all sorts of organizations. And people are curious and they want to know how to do it. Uh, so there's been a proliferation of, tele- of phone apps, which is paradoxical in a certain kind of way, <laughs> but um, yeah. that have guided meditations right at your fingertips. So you can, you know, plug in and have someone's voice guide you into meditation. And it's if you're consistent doing it, you follow the, you know, the guidance, then you can develop the skills. Like it's as you know, I don't know if it's as good as like going to a live class, but it definitely offers an opportunity that's available. And many of those are free. So he's one of the people who's doing that. I don't remember what his app is called. But. Uh, I don't either. Once Elise went to uh, this mindfulness class, I started mm-hmm. seeing mindfulness like it everywhere just pops up. Like, yeah. what the, what is this? You know, what is, what is mindfulness and why all of a sudden, why do you think now is uh, kind of, it's really coming into... <laughs> That's a great question. I mean, I, I honestly think it's because we're looking for answers. You know, most of the time people are having some level of struggle in their emotional lives or in their, you know, just in the day-to-day life with stress or anxiety or relationship problems. And here's a practice that's relatively inexpensive, relatively, you know, low-tech um, that is promising results. And I think a lot of people are experiencing those results. They've been demonstrated in research. And so people are like, let's give it a go. Um, yeah. It's free and, you know, and, and no, but a time to be quiet. Yeah. I think that uh, that's, we just have a, there's, I think a lot of people have a very, very few 
times in their life or in their day-to-day life where they can just sit mm-hmm. and be still yeah. without yeah. without activity. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, a, in a way, that's the hardest part of developing a practice is kind of carving out a space yeah. in busy lives. Uh, like the students that I teach a lot of times at the very beginning of the class, when we're just learning the practice, like it takes a little while before you start to feel the results of it. Won't happen probably the first time or the second time. And in my classes, it takes about a month usually for people to start to really feel the benefits. Mm. And um, they'll say... So when you say a month, I mean, it's like this is a class, so five days a week, so basically about 20 days. No, these are classes that are meeting actually once a week, but they're meditating three times a week outside of class. So probably about mm, 10 to 12 consistent meditations over, you know, a period of time. I would say three to four weeks. Okay, so it's not yeah. say say day. It's not every day, but no. there, but it is a consistency. A consistency, like it's like you yeah. said, a practice. Yeah, okay. yeah, like going to the gym. You know, if you go to if you're out of shape, you go to the gym. It's not the first time you feel great, or the second, or the <laughs> you third. Don't feel great at all. <laughs> <laughs> it takes a little while for that, yeah. you know, to start feeling strong and to get your cardiovascular system feeling comfortable. Right. And I think meditation is similar. Initially, it feels awkward and weird. And what my students will say is like, I have you know, two papers and an exam coming up and you want me to sit and do nothing. Like that makes no sense to me. Mm. And so it's really, to me, that's working with the mind. We have a culture that's training our minds and we buy into it. There's certain truth in it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot to be done. And the way to get it done is to just, you know, stack up the to-do list and and get through it. And here's a practice that's saying, actually, all of that's going to be better if you set that aside and you take a few minutes and you just quiet and you learn to be present to what's happening inside, it's very difficult to believe that that somehow is going to help life be better and even make you more efficient at what you do. Um, and it takes time to start to really feel that, feel the changes that occur, feel the the presence that allows you to feel a little more control over your choices. Initially, um, a lo- what a lot of, what happens with a lot of students is they turn inward, they do the practice, they're doing the stuff, and they f- start to feel worse. You know, they are noticing like how anxious they are, or how busy their minds are, or what their minds are saying to them, and a lot of it is negative because that's what habitually our minds do. They criticize or judge, and it takes time to learn how to kind of get through that initial just being aware of negativity and anxiety and worry and maybe memories about things that have happened to a different place of just peacefulness, a slightly greater peacefulness being connected to whatever's happening inside. Yeah, I could totally see how this would benefit anybody that's a college student. Yeah. If you've got so many things going on, the thing you need to do is to stop. Yeah. And think and get and focus. Yeah. Right? You kind of yeah. regain that focus. Yeah. Because, uh, I mean, in just my life, I think, you know, like I was saying, but like looking up just the, the definition and I couldn't pay attention to the definition. Yeah. yeah. And that's when I'm like, well, yeah. stop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Take a few deep breaths. Yeah. Focus on a few breaths. Yeah. What is it that you want to accomplish and yeah. then move forward? Yeah, exactly. In my classes, I'll sometimes, um, like I, te- I teach a class that's an hour and a half in length, which is a long time to focus on a topic. And sometimes in the middle of the class, I'll say, let's take two minutes and meditate. And so I just have everybody slow down, close our eyes. We do a little breath practice together. And then I check in with them, like, how do you feel? 
And after just a couple minutes of breath practice, they'll be like, I feel more alert. I feel, I feel a little bit more energized. I feel like I can focus. I feel refreshed. And it's like, I've sometimes thought, why does it have this effect? And I don't have an answer to that question, the why so much. It just does. There's something about, I think it's moving out of the head and moving into physical experience and just being aware and quiet for a little bit is more refreshing than we think it is going to be. Let's take a couple minutes here and, and meditate. So okay. Would you would you mind just how tell me like how would like if we're in a class together uh-huh. how how would we go about this? What do you want me to do? just guide you in a sure. meditation? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So I'm going to pretend you're a group, and I would say, all right. So let's um, let's sit. Uh, make sure your body's comfortable. See if you can, you know, lengthen your back and let your shoulders relax. Just find some comfort and ease in your physical body. Yeah, and uh, let your eyes close. Yeah. And turn your awareness, that focus, just start to notice whatever's happening inside. Just very slowly, not really looking for anything in particular. Just let your awareness take in whatever is happening inside. And bring your awareness to your cycle of breathing. So see if you can really feel into your in-breath. Like as air moves in through your nostrils, see if you can feel that movement. So there's a tempo to the movement and there's a there's a ways in which your body adjusts to allow air in so you can feel movement in your muscles and your bones and maybe your belly softens. And see if you can hold awareness steady as you breathe out. Air again moving through your respiratory system out your nose. And just see if you can hold your awareness steady on this in-breath. Feeling air moving in. Belly softening and then the out-breath. The release. Air moving out. And then just notice, just do a check-in. And see, how are you feeling inside now compared to when we started? Are there any differences that you notice? Just let yourself kind of feel into that experience now. And then... Let go of this little brief meditation and you can be kind of slow and gradual and easy about it. You can open your eyes and let the light back in in your own pace.
Very nice. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So you've done this before. Yeah, a couple times. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so what I noticed was about myself yeah. is that my heart is beating like a yeah. I've got because I, I am I'm pretty focused on this. Uh-huh. And these things excite me. Yeah. When I come and have people into yeah. my home and yeah. I invite them in, we yeah. have like a conversation. Yeah. It's it's exciting to me. Yeah. So I can feel my You're feeling that. Yeah. 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 And then there's Oh, freaking hum <laughs> that I cannot get rid of on this podcast board, but uh-huh. there's a hum that's there and that's always uh-huh. been there, but that's the thing I can hear. Uh-huh. So hopefully, you know, uh-huh. I'll get rid of that here in post. But <laughs> So you were noticing like sound, you yeah. know, like that's the present moment. Like you were aware of your body and sound. And did you notice a difference between starting and finishing in terms of, I don't know, overall state or was it... What did you? What was your experience? Um, like from the start of the of the of meditation, the, of the meditation yeah. to the end, uh, a bit of relaxation, uh-huh. uh, like focusing on your breath, like just being mindful yeah. Of, yeah. of where I am in a physical state. Yeah, um, yeah, that's really common, and it's we did not very much. That was probably a yeah. minute, minute and, and a half. So, then, so you're talking practice. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're looking at. A two-minute practice a day, would that be enough for someone to get into the mindfulness? It's a start. Yeah, definitely a start. Um, What you might have noticed is you were transitioning into relaxation. Um, I think ideally, like what I aim for is 10 minutes. That's with my students starting out. That's what I try to get them to do is 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. If they can't, then five. If they can't do five, then two. If they can't do two, then one. Whatever you can do is going to be a benefit. But I think if you can get edge yourself closer to that 10 minutes... It allows your body to really release and relax a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And you also will then start to edge into the territory that I think is really valuable in the practice, being mindful, is you start to like notice your mind drifting or you start to notice, you know, that your right foot is getting uncomfortable. Like these other things to start to come into view and, and we begin to like bring practice to that stuff. When you can bring mindful awareness, this kind of practice, into connection with the things that are a little bit harder, that's to me, that's where the payoff really comes. Like when we can be mindful when we're struggling, that's going to have the biggest impact on improving quality of life. Wow. You know, I can see really just it, when in your explanation there, I can mm-hmm. really see how this would have a great impact on the uh, judicial system. Oh gosh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, I don't know that they've brought it into like, I don't know, the courtroom, courtroom. Yeah. But they are doing it with police officers, and they are Whoa. doing it in the prisons. So post legal system, and it's helping reduce violence in the prisons. It helps reduce. Um, they offer it to the prisoners and the guards, and it helps the guard. It reduces the amount of like, um, I guess. Uh, violence that occurs between prisoners and guards. Um, And in police officers, it helps them to, you know, I I feel like a lot of what happens in the, I don't know, I've never been a policeman, but I'm guessing, but you know, like you're in, in the, in these moments that are threatening potentially and scary and you don't know what's happening. And so body's really activated and you're on, you know, you're ready to, you know, fight and flight. And that mindfulness is just going to help them to be more aware of what's happening inside and really aware of what's happening outside so that when they make choices, ideally, they'll be more attuned and careful, not as reactive. Um, 
So I haven't, I can't remember the research on police officers and what the outcome measures were. I know they feel better physically. I don't know if there's any difference in the way that they respond to calls. No, I can see that though, but I, you know, when you get, I can only assume, I mean, I, for me at least, if I get that, okay, there's an emergency somewhere and you have to respond to that mm-hmm. first responders, mm-hmm. then, you know, my, my heart rate's going to go up. I'm getting, and my adrenaline is yep. pumping. Yep. I mean, trying to be aware and mindful of mm-hmm. what's going on. That's gotta be tough. I mean, there's exactly. gotta, you, I would hope they have even more that training in yeah. how to control that. Yeah than most anything else. You yeah, know? yeah, exactly. I would, I would think that that would uh, stop them from shooting people because it's, exactly. it, I mean, it's, it's a real problem. I yeah, mean, right. Uh, yeah. You can debate on if those people need to be shot or not, but maybe they might not have the wherewithal to actually pull their weapon if yeah. you know they realize that that's just a cell phone he's carrying instead of you know a firearm. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. 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 So those are some of the applications. And in my students, like it just brightens their awareness, their focus, so that the second half of the class can be as kind of productive as the first half. So we can take a two minutes and do a quick meditation. And it's almost like having recess, <laughs> you know, a little break, and yeah. uh, they're right back and more engaged. So, so you get it, you, you're actually. Huh, you're working the mind so hard that you need to stop. Well, I mean, that's that's yeah. been common practice. So been told that you should stop every 45 minutes or yeah. so. Yeah, exactly. What you're doing to, you know, take a break, yeah. refocus your mind. Yeah. Could, you know, yeah. start doing that it's a, at work. Yeah, absolutely. Especially if you got a desk job. Totally, totally. And, and a lot of people are doing things like um, every hour on the hour, do a little breath meditation, just like we just did. Mm-hmm. I teach um, something called uh, the Moscow Minute, since we live in Moscow. <laughs> uh, three conscious breaths take a, takes a minute. So if you just close your eyes, sense into the feeling of the breath, three in-breaths, three out-breaths, takes about a minute, and it's really refreshing. So on the hour, or every time you get up to go to the bathroom, or whatever little moment is a good reminder, is to... Give your mind, it's really giving your mind a little break so that it can let go. Now, when we're doing meditation, in my mind, I think meditation, I think of Indian Mm -hmm. um, type of uh, religious practices. Yeah, yeah. So is there a connection but, or is there any religion involved in in mindfulness? I teach secular mindfulness, so it doesn't have a religious component to it. Um, but it grows like the honest truth is it grows out of the Eastern religious traditions. Um, there's contemplative practices in almost all religious traditions, uh, Christian, Hindu, Buddhist, like the Judas, uh, Jewish, like the turning inward connects us to what's inside. And there's some value in doing that. And most traditions acknowledge that, but it's possible to do these practices and not have any religious beliefs whatsoever. And everything that I've been, we've been talking about that I've been sharing with you, like there isn't anything in it that requires you to believe anything. It's really a skill. It's like a, it's almost a behavioral skill, uh, where you're focusing your mind and training your, attitude to be welcoming of whatever experience you're having. It doesn't require you to believe anything. In my classes at the university, the, you know, there's a lot of students who hold very, you know, um, 
meaningful religious beliefs that come into class. And they don't feel, I haven't had any students say, this interferes with my religious beliefs or it conflicts with them. Most people actually feel like it connects them more fully to what they already value. And that's doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah, I can really see how some parents, mm-hmm. at, like you're saying, it gets taught in like yeah. elementary school. Yeah. yeah, Like, you know, what do you teach my kid? Yeah. But, you know, to sit there and be still and uh-huh. think and breathe, uh-huh. I'd, if that is somehow... Yeah. Um, against your religious practices, yeah, you know, that maybe yeah. I, I'm going to put my foot in my mouth, but maybe you need to rethink your religion, <laughs> Yeah, you know, just to sit there and be quiet and to think about what you're doing and to yeah. hopefully, you know. Well, it's really kind of a, it's a, I, I've, I sometimes think of it as like, um, it's a, it's training the mind, you know, to, to, to be more skillful in, in the way that the mind encounters experience and I think that that doesn't have any religion in it at all. And we're all, we all need to do that. We're all looking for ways to do that. Okay. How do I slow my mind down, pay attention to what's actually happening, not be too reactive, allow myself a little compassion around whatever I'm experiencing, and then make choices about what matters the most to me. Um, it just doesn't feel like it has any religion in it. Yeah. And um, I can actually see why wouldn't you add it to your religious practices? Right. Well, that one of the things that's been really interesting to me and kind of fabulous, actually, is I've had students who are in my classes, they're practicing, and they connect more deeply to their kind of the religious um, practices of their upbringing. And some people just recommit to their religion, like, oh, I'm connecting to my myself, my heart, my values. And what I value are these traditions that I grew up with. And I've had students who like reconnect to their religion. I haven't ever had anybody say, you know, this is interfering with my belief system and I can't do it anymore. Hmm. It just hasn't come up that way. Yeah. Well, I'm a recovering Catholic. Yeah. (laughs) And and, uh, I haven't practiced in many, many years. Uh But when you're talking about, you know, this, uh, you know, um, being still and mindful, it's not, I don't. It's not. I don't see it there. Yeah. Although I haven't been back and and done the the religious service yeah. in many years. Yeah. But there's not really a a time when there's just be quiet. Yeah. And there's prayer. Yeah. And there's prayers. Yeah. And, you, and there's time where you yeah. think about, but you're supposed to think about certain things. Yeah. But there's not just a time to connect yeah. with what what's going on. Yeah. Around you. Yeah. Um, yeah, that because I can that I can see how that would really help. Yeah, is in any religion. Yeah, uh, a, a time to be quiet and acknowledge why we're here today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, I um, follow a writer Richard Rohr, who is a um, Catholic priest, I believe, um, mm. and he blends the two together. He brings contemplative practice, and um, I'm pretty sure it's. I know it is. It's and Catholic beliefs together to sort of create this contemplative practice, but it's a little non-traditional. And um, Thomas Merton is another example of that. Like these are people who were deeply engaged in contemplative practice while also deeply devoted to a particular religious tradition, and they they sort of wed them in a in a way. And I've read their writings, and they're really beautiful. But they do have a um, they have a kind of a morality in them that mm-hmm. mindfulness doesn't, I think there's an implicit morality in even mindfulness, but it comes from within. It's our own personal morality rather than a, 
a structured religious dogmatic. Yeah, um, we do uh, in the class that I teach. We do a um, a practice around values, and it's it's really an opportunity for people to connect to their own core values. You know, that's not something people think about. Yeah, like what are my own yeah. compared to what maybe my parents were, yeah. especially in college. Yeah, where you're, where you're separated from your yeah. family unit. Yeah. For the first time, what are my own? Yeah, exactly. Mm. And that's what they say. They're like, oh, I never thought about this before. Like, I can pick my own or I can live by my own. So we have this list of values that's been generated by people who study values. And they spend a week just kind of contemplating, like, what, which of this on this list, what are the top three for me? Which one, what do I value the most? And then um, spend a week sort of making your actions aligned with your top value. So like for one of my, my values personally is um, being kind to other people, really important value for me. So can I put kindness at the forefront of my mind and filter my action through that? Like, is this a kind action? Is this, am I approaching this in a kind way? Am I, uh, it be, that becomes an awareness practice also. And uh, the students really find that it changes their lives in a way that they aren't living with their, in accordance with their own values. Their behaviors and choices aren't in accordance with their values. And they can modify them to be, and they're happier. <laughs> leads to happy. It leads to happiness. <laughs> so What? Stop this. You've got to stop. People and that, are getting happy. <laughs> no craziness. And it's all just about living the way you want. And what's fascinating to me is their values are that they identify are just beautiful you know like innately at least the people that i've you know worked with closely at the university have very strong positive value systems they care about important things that's good yes yeah um you know there's a a debate Uh and someone was saying how how can we live a moral life if you don't follow the ten commandments where if you don't have the ten commandments in the courthouse, whatever, where thou shalt not kill, how will you know not to kill? Mm-hmm. And um, the other man is a, an atheist, and he says, well, I I don't follow religion, but uh, my I can kill as much as I want, and I want to kill zero. Uh-huh. So my the, the, the morality, uh-huh. uh, just because you do not follow a specific religion, doesn't mean you don't follow the same tenets. Exactly. Yeah. I think there's some universals in, mm. in values and... I mean, my I've I've been delighted to discover the level of really goodness in, and they're young. These are un, college undergraduates, you know, who are interested in having fun and. Yeah, it could be anywhere from sixteen to nineteen years old. There, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, they're more like eighteen to twenty-two. Okay. So college undergraduates, but it's 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 been actually it's been heartening. It's made me happy. I'm like, oh gosh, our our youth are are <laughs> amazing, <laughs> and the world's going to be okay. <laughs> Hooray. I'm glad to hear that actually. We're going to be okay. Yeah. 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 So, um, and that, that's got a mindfulness to it also, because what you're doing is bringing awareness to what matters to you, right? Like I'm going to be mindfully aware of whether I'm living in accordance with my values or not. And how does it feel when I do? And how does it feel when I don't? And then there's a choice point. Hmm. Oh, kind of uh, reminds me of uh, like uh, um, King Arthur's Knights or something, you know, living by a moral code yeah. or living yeah. by a code. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very similar to that, except for the code comes from inside. 
it's so much easier to commit to a code that comes out of your own heart than one that somebody's telling you you should live by, you know, like it's handed down to you by whatever your parents or your teachers or your religion. But the one that emerges from within because it matters to you, it's like truly a reflection of what matters to you. So much easier to commit to it and make it meaningful. Yeah. You'd think. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. That, um, and people in general tend to like to, um, have somebody else tell them what it is they should be doing. Yeah. So I can see how mindfulness will, I could, you know, the the more we talk about this, the more I think that this just, everybody should be doing it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it comes (laughs) from like, you know, why are we, why are people so obese? Because they're not really being mindful of the the food they intake. Yeah. Or Or how it feels to eat what they eat or how it feels, how this body is feeling right now, you know, like. Oh, you know, the I, I I rarely once in a while like to eat some fast food. Mm-hmm. It's you know, it mm-hmm. tastes good, yeah. you know, and it's yeah. it kind of reconnects you to maybe to some like we're talking about bringing back thoughts, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you know that uh, McDonald's uh, Happy Meal. You know, remember when you were a oh, kid? Totally. I just love yeah, eating that yeah, Happy yeah. Meal. Yeah. Maybe you're yeah. an adult, you go get a Happy Meal, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. But I I don't. But <laughs> <laughs> but you know, sometimes I'll go get a, a fast food burger or something. I'm like, oh man, that tastes so good, and then. After I'm done, I'm like, I should not have eaten. That. Mm-hmm. But that's really important information, right? And if you just ate it and you were doing six other things at the same time, so you didn't notice how you felt, you might just do it again because it was kind of fun or because it was easy or because you're tempted. You now feel full. Yeah, Very right. Important. Yeah, I got full. Yeah. yeah. And, it's, um, and mindfulness is actually used around eating uh, to help people with eating problems because there's something about the awareness of, well, food itself. So much of the time we eat and we don't taste or we eat and we don't, you know, we're not really noticing like all this vast beauty in front of us, all the colors and all the textures. And there's something about connecting to the sensuality of food and how it feels when we eat it and after we eat it that helps people to naturally regulate a little bit better. Hmm. You know, a, a friend of mine is a uh, a cook and uh, this reminds me of a story he said is that a patron came in and he really liked to eat his food because mm-hmm. he had lost his sense of taste. Oh, So his food had was very, he liked the texture oh, yeah. of the food that he yeah. had. I'm like, you know, ever since then, texture of food really matters to me. Yeah. Like, how does that taste in my mouth? How does that feel in my mouth? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And to extrapolate this a little bit further is that I had a hamburger and when I was in Japan, this is uh, probably about uh, 13 years ago now, and the they they grind their burger finer. It's okay. kind of like it's not, it's it's like minced and not ground. Okay. So the 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 texture of the burger was really weird. Uh-huh. I think it had the same flavor, but I'm like, I don't like it. It's different. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, it's not yeah. that same kind of a thing. Isn't that interesting? It's like, cause there's so much goes into our experience of eating. Like we think it's just taste, but it's also texture, yeah. positively or negatively color for sure. Oh yeah. Yeah. Presentation. Presentation. A lot. And so this, the process of eating and, and invi- inviting the mind to really pay attention to and enjoy those things changes the pace of eating it changes the amount of enjoyment that comes from eating and people who eat mindfully tend to eat less because it happens more slowly and you're satisfied sooner you know like gobbling and not really tasting and just sort of getting it in the tummy to fill it up is different than 
what you were just talking about, you know, feeling the textures or noticing the beauty of the presentation on the plate. And so mindful eating is actually its own practice for weight loss for people who it's an adjunct to a treatments for people who have eating disorders to become a little bit more aware of their, their eating practices so that they eat in a less disordered way. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. And, uh, so where, what can't it be done well? With? Well, that, that's why it's so amazing. <laughs> it's like whatever you use your mind for, mm-hmm. you can use mindfulness for, and we use our minds in everything. And so there's an application to all of all sorts of anything. Um, so the basic skill, you know, it takes a little bit to learn it. It takes a little bit to like create a habit of being mindful instead of mindless. Um, and then you can bring it to all sorts of things and almost anything that's pleasurable will probably be more pleasurable and anything that's less pleasurable, it doesn't become less pleasurable, but you learn how to navigate the unpleasurable things in a more skillful way. So you don't create secondary problems. (laughs) (laughs) Um, in my, in the mindfulness class that I teach, uh, about four weeks in, we do mindful eating with a, an orange, a seedless orange, like, mm-hmm. and, and, um, it, we take about 25 minutes to eat a single orange and it starts with appreciation for where the orange came from. Like all the people who tended the fields and the farmer who pays for the land and the people who pick the oranges and the truck driver who drives the truck to the store, the store owner who displays it, the checkout person who helps you and you're you know, like all of these people. And then all the families who support the people to do the jobs that allow us to get the food to our table. And some of that's like oranges come, we get oranges from Australia. Yeah, exactly. So it could involve a boat or something. Yeah. Um, and then the orange itself, you know, and there's all these, like there's smells and textures and every orange is different and takes so much time. And by the end of it, people- And an awesome color. They're so beautiful. Oh, and they smell oh, so good, yeah. actually. Yeah, I really love orange. So people mm-hmm. will, during this practice, they'll be like, I have never tasted an orange that tastes so good as yeah. this orange. Yeah. So there's something so magical about- the simple practice of like elongating an experience and noticing all these elements that makes it really delightful. So I call it savoring and we can savor anything, oranges, but we can also savor, you know, a cup of coffee in the morning or the walk to get the mail or, you know, snuggling with your dog or snuggling with your sweetie. Mm. Like there's just all these things that the practice of, Mindful awareness, attention to all those details, um, and it's part of the experience. Attention to the experience can really enhance. You know, I just uh, I just got sad because you just oh. yeah because you're talking about you know snuggling with your dog. Yeah. We have a dog that's 15 years old, yeah. Daisy. I mean, yeah. she's the first pet that I got when she's you know as an adult. Uh-huh. I had dogs when I was a kid, uh-huh. and I every day. I make sure that I sit mm-hmm. and I connect to look her in the eye and I make sure I pet her and I mm-hmm. tell her what a great dog she yeah. is. And she's a very smart dog. Uh-huh. Uh, and just, I think about, you know, she's not going to be here that much longer. So make yeah. sure I make sure she gets yeah. attention yeah. every day yeah. to connect yeah. to that. So that relationship with her is mindful. Like you, it's got an intention to it and you're really, oh, yeah. you're really mm-hmm. paying, you really are being present and experiencing that connection in a mindful way yeah except when she pees on the floor then i'm <laughs> that's not as much fun <laughs> you gotta be mindful like okay she's an old dog exactly 
<laughs> Love you, Daisy. Love you, Daisy. Uh, yeah. yeah. It, I wonder. In we're talking about this this mindfulness, and um, I wanna, my th- one of the things that came to mind was that people trying to stop their mindfulness, mm-hmm. uh, like uh, alcoholism. Oh. Or marijuana is becoming very yeah. prevalent. It, I wouldn't doubt if soon it's a nationwide mm-hmm. uh, legally. And um, I enjoy those things. Mm-hmm. And I've enjoyed other drugs and things in my mm-hmm. life, uh, experiencing life as a, to the fullest. Mm-hmm. But people who do that on, an, on a, um, maybe not addictive, but uh, what's a, what's a, where you do it continually or a... Uh, I can't think of the word at the moment, but where it's a almost like you you have to do it every day. It may not be oh, kind of compulsively. Like, okay, compulsive yeah, maybe, or, or just part habitually. of habitually. Habitually, thank mm-hmm. you. Yeah, that's yeah. the word I was looking for. Where you because you want to turn off your mind. A lot of people go out for like mm-hmm. you know Friday drinks or whatever. Yeah. kind of turn off the work week. Yeah, you know what is this? Where do you see that? Or I guess um the question might be. People turn off their mindfulness. Yeah. Is that, how do you see, uh, I don't know what the question is, but. Well, I'll tell you what comes to mind. Um, Okay. I think I have a friend actually who really enjoys um, smoking pot and she's a mindfulness teacher also, not here locally, but somebody that I met when I was doing my training and she spent a lot of time like, can you bring mindful awareness to consumption that's actually sort of dimming or numbing your awareness in a certain kind of way. And she does like, she thinks of it as more like, like you approach it in a different kind of way. It's really sort of a sacred process of connecting to this substance that allows you to have a particular experience and then being really aware of like when you do it and how much you do it and what it feels like when you do it and what it feels like when you don't do it. And so you can still be aware Instead of just doing it because I want to do it now, or right. you get to the you know, yeah, or like compulsion. we have a lot of cues, right? Like most yeah. of the, most of the time, like you know, somebody there's a certain configuration of people, or a certain time of day, or day of the week, or whatever, and it just becomes like time of the day, four twenty. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So, um, so there can, you could bring awareness to that. Like, am I just acting out of habit, or do I really want this? And, and also, to me. Why do I really want this? Like, what is, what's the... That's a key question, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, mm-hmm. And sometimes it's like, well, I want relief and pleasure and have cut loose and have fun. Or sometimes it's like, well, I'm kind of feeling anxious and I want to get away from that, which is fine. But maybe you want to know what you're feeling anxious about. And you could spend some time with the anxiety in order to understand there might be something that's important to be paying attention to. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, to me, that's that's... That's that. Instead of using it, using it as a as a tool instead of avoidance. Yeah, exactly. Um, and there was another thought. There was like two lines of thinking. Oh, um, this is my opinion about um, substance use, at least kind of chronic or you know habitual cr- substance use. Like oftentimes, it's to not be with something else. You know, like we do it to mm. relax away from something. I think it's really valuable to know what the something that we're relaxing away from is and to maybe spend time, some mindful time with that without substances to make sure that there's not anything that needs to have special attention or special care and not just move in move it's there's a we in in our culture we tend to move away from what's uncomfortable. Yeah. And 
I think I don't know if it's that just our culture. No, well, it's human. Like we don't yeah. know who wants to feel what's uncomfortable, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. But there is some valuable information in what's uncomfortable, mm -hmm. and if we move away from it too quickly or too habitually, we can miss that important information. So I guess that's the message: like maybe being aware, like what am I doing here, and would it is there any valuableness in me knowing my own you know, whatever it is, my own anxiety, my own sadness about my job, my own whatever, like my own ex emotional experience. Like for me, sometimes when I sit in my, my uncomfortable feelings, I start to like, sometimes I think, think of them as flowers or something. And I just start to like open up and there's so much in there that I didn't know was there. And at the, if I stay with it long enough, sometimes I'll get an epiphany about you know, like, I really don't like this person I'm hanging out with. Mm. And I didn't, I haven't really been paying attention to that. Or, mm. or um, I'm getting really bored in my job. And I probably need to do something to jazz it up. Be like, there'll be something in there that's useful. And we can miss it if we don't spend any time with the less comfortable. So when you say spending time with it, what do you mean by that? I mean, the mindful awareness, like, to me, that takes time. It takes awareness. It takes being with it. And uh, I sort of, my shorthand is like, let's take a little time with that experience. Let's be mindful about that experience and see what that's about. So it's basically just being quiet and thinking about that one thing or trying to be focused on that. Or do you meditate on that one thing? What is, how do you go about that? Um, different ways, but I don't think about it. <laughs> um, to me, we can just get into the habitual patterns of of repetitive thought, which isn't as illuminative, I don't think, as mindfulness, which is more of a, mindfulness really is a physical practice. Really? Yeah. It's, okay. it's really about getting out of your mind and into the physical experience. So what am I sensing? What am I feeling? What am I, it's, it's sensation and, and feeling largely hmm. about almost anything. So I can have a thought pass through my mind. But what, I, what I'm really curious about is how does that thought impact me? Like what happens in my body when I'm thinking that thought? Mm. Oh, there's an arising of this emotion or my stomach starts to get tense. And then I might go, oh, what's the stomach tense about? You know, and sort of sense into the stomach tenseness. And there's all this like wisdom that we carry, knowledge, knowing, intuition, something like that, that we carry in our soma, in our body that we just aren't connected to when we spend all the time in the, in the mind. And there was, um, I was uh, listening to Sam Harris. Yeah. He, uh, yeah. he was, I don't, I can't remember what it was. Maybe it was like a, maybe one of his uh, meditation practices, uh -huh. Uh -huh. but he was saying, okay, try to just focus on breathing. Yeah. We're going to do that for just a minute. Yeah. And he's saying, keep focusing on it yeah. because our minds are worrying so mm -hmm. much, you know, the, the, uh, was it the, uh, somebody had called it the chattering mind. Yeah. It's always talking always. And then he says, you'll be realizing 30 seconds in, he goes, are you thinking about breathing? Mm -hmm. I'm like, you know, I wasn't thinking about the breathing mm -hmm. because it wasn't even 30 seconds and I had already forgotten yep. or my mind had already changed to a diff something else. You totally, know? totally. Like, talk, think about what did I have for breakfast? What am I going to have for dinner? You know, mm -hmm. if whatever is going on, what mm -hmm. am I going to do for work? Because mm -hmm. it's, your mind is constantly chattering. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that's the mind's job too. Like it's to think. Um, and it's really nice to develop the mindfulness practice because it gives us a way to like not only have thinking as our main experience, we can also relate to this body and have 
you know, sensations in the body or emotional experiences. And they're, they're separate from, and they offer something more of experience, more to experience than thought. I I read somewhere, I don't remember where it was, but um, I really like it that, that our minds, if you really pay attention to the content of your thinking, like when you're just sitting around and your mind's doing its thing, Hmm. the content doesn't change very much. Most of us have like a interesting have a top ten um, playlist, uh, and it just kind of it just cycles through same thing over and over again, a yeah. little bit different. I, I can totally notice that, definitely. So it's not that interesting, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's just like it's the same repetitive stuff. Right. Yeah, it is. And much it of is it the is top ten list. I like that. Okay. And some of it is like a lot of it is like. Um, judgmental and critical and uh why did you do that thing in sixth grade exactly worry yeah. doubt doesn't make us feel good so what we're really doing is developing some skills where we can like move from that recognize it for what it is like it's what it is like it's kind of amusing that that's what the mind does mm-hmm. but there's all these other experiences that are rich and interesting and and oftentimes not as um stressful not as innervating they're enlivening they're full of you know like an orange this or this the meal of your friend who's a chef like mm-hmm. there's all this texture such a different way to 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 like it's such a different place to have awareness be on, on the senses you know on the yeah you know the uh talking about just a, the senses and awareness there is a there was for maybe still uh, a a restaurant that was completely in darkness. Ooh. So when you went there, I mean, uh, I believe the servers had like infrared glasses oh, or something like that. Oh my gosh, on. so they could see. So they could see, but everything else was dark. So you had to use all of your senses except for sight to try uh-huh. to like find your meal, make sure you're just eating the meal and all that, but it brings out all the different senses, the yeah. smell. Yeah. Like you can smell the kitchen. Oh my gosh. Um, they interviewed people afterwards and they were, you know, everybody seemed to be really like it except you know they would rather like to see they really were interested like <laughs> what did it look like you know <laughs> yeah um but yeah. That, that experience of yeah. just again that that sounds like a very mindful thing is like cut yeah. out that part yeah. and just be aware of what's happening without having to see it yeah everything else yeah our, our eyes are our vision is such a dominant sight to like build connection to the other ones you know just broadens the experience yeah yeah. So I think I think of mind, when I'm teaching mindfulness, I don't know if you noticed this when I was doing it, but I was having you, the instruction was to, to feel your breath. Mm-hmm, so it wasn't mm-hmm. to watch your breath. It wasn't, you weren't out, I wasn't inviting you to be outside witnessing your breath, but to be inside feeling your breath. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's an important part of mindfulness. It's really experiential. It's really being connected to the, the physicality of whatever's happening in the moment. And even if you're being mindful of, of thought, you're sort of you're sort of sensing what it feels like when you're witnessing the movement of thoughts in your own mind. Like this thought to me, when I do meditation of my own thoughts, I'll be like, Oh, I'm thinking this. What what what's the emotional impact of that? I bring myself right back down into my body. I don't stay in the in the um kind of the circular nature of my own thinking. I'm so used to that, you know, like that's what I do all the time. This practice is to give me a different experience. 
Which practice? The, the, the mindfulness practice. The mind, okay. Like yeah. it's to bring me back into like connection to my, the physical nature of whatever a moment is offering me. I can spin thoughts about anything all the time. I'm a thinker, you know, so mm. it's, I don't need more of that. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, when uh, uh, I had started uh, dabbling in uh, mm-hmm. that into uh, meditation. Yeah. Uh, and the thing that really helped me was focus on the breathing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when you get a thought comes in your mind, mm-hmm. let it go. Yeah. Don't, don't focus on that. Mm-hmm. Just let it go. Yeah. Unless you're doing a, a focused, um, meditation where you want to think about a certain thing Yeah. and then think about that thing and then take those, take a thought Mm-hmm. And grab it mm-hmm. and go, what do you think about that thought? Mm-hmm. And that's that's so different from what life is on a day-to-day basis. It's like thought comes in, thought, do you mm-hmm. act on it or not? It's like, mm-hmm. do it now or not? Yeah. You know, it's yeah. not like take that thought, grab yeah. it. Yeah. Because yeah. I'm usually, a, I think it and it just comes right out my mouth. So. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, um, I mean, what you're, I, what I hear and what you're saying is there's intention in it. Like it's not, Sometimes, it's not. Yeah. Well, the when you're doing a practice, oh yeah, uh-huh. you're not just kind of doing that habitual thing that you're accustomed to doing, or what happens naturally. You set an intention mm-hmm. of where you want your focus to be. I think that's um, uh, inherent. That's core to mindfulness practice. Is like our we can move our attention around <laughs> uh, and choosing where you want to put it, and then kind of holding it there and experiencing that. As to me, it's got a lot of sense, sens- sensuality to a lot of physical awareness to the practice. Do you know? Um, we talk about a lot about physicality and awareness with this mm-hmm. mind with mindfulness, mm-hmm. and um, people have um, that are say like addicted to video games. I mean, this yeah. is a very real thing, like the, yeah. the video game addiction or yeah. Uh, internet addiction or mm-hmm. your phone addiction, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. How can mindfulness help with that? Um, well, I think with any of this sort of um, habitual, like an addiction to something like that, you know, a technology isn't exactly physical the way that if you're addicted to alcohol, there's a chemical reaction. Mm. Um, so there's a physical, you know, craving it's a little bit gray, I think, because I think our technology does trigger some, you know, response that's pleasurable and we get addicted to that response. Mm-hmm. But um, it's becoming aware, to me, it's becoming aware of the triggers before you do it, like pick up your phone or get on the internet. Like what is happening at the moment just before I do it? So you start to understand like what leads me to do this and a lot of times we don't even notice anything is happening, but there, if you slow that process down, there may be boredom or there may be curiosity about some topic or there may be uh, some emotional experience that is unpleasant. We want to move away from it. And then what happens while I'm doing it, paying attention, like when I pay attention to how it feels when I get caught in like a episode of surfing the internet, I eventually get sort of numb and a little bit like foggy in my head and it doesn't really feel that great. That will oftentimes be the cue to me where I'll be like, I'm not actually feeling that good doing this where Mm -hmm. I get off of it. Mm -hmm. So it's noticing 
during what it feels like. And then after also, like, how do you feel when you're finished? Like, what's it like that you just spent whatever, two hours surfing the net? What's that like? And to me that those pieces of information then give us clues about triggers and what we prefer, what feels good and what feels bad. Um, I, I, that's the information I use to decide what I want to continue to do and what I don't want to do. And what, you know, how was your, and how was your life enhanced yeah. by doing, you know, two hours of surfing the net where you're not really, you're just trying to disconnect really. Yeah. Or sometimes, you know, you go down a rabbit hole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you find yourself like reading about stuff you don't care about. Yeah, and yeah. and for me, sometimes when I when I do that, you know, the clickbait and all of a sudden you're over here reading a story and the story is upsetting me. I'm actually getting angry or I'm getting sad about it. So I've created this situation where my time is being used in a way that isn't what I intended. And then I'm having negative emotional experiences to it. And when I notice that, I'm like, that is not, a, to me, uh, that's not aligned with my values. Yeah. It's not how I want to spend my time, and it's not how I want to feel. Yeah. And then I can make a choice. Well, what do you want to feel, and how <laughs> yeah. do you want to spend your time? Right. And maybe I'll be able to do something different. And a lot of people, they, uh, first thing in the morning, wake mm-hmm. up mm-hmm. onto the smartphone, mm-hmm. looking at mm-hmm. Facebook, looking yeah. at Twitter, looking yeah. at whatever. Yeah. And... You know, um, there was uh, a kind of wish I, I, I go through, you know, mm-hmm. because we have such a digital life, there's mm-hmm. so many things that come in and out of our lives. Totally. And you kind of pick, you know, once yeah. in a while, like a nugget of knowledge I'll, yeah. I'll grab onto. Yeah. And one of them was that uh, do, don't pick up your phone and immediately go to something that you are reacting to. Yeah. Because then you start your day off in yeah. a reactionary way. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, that makes sense. what I started doing, like I wake up to just wake up, I should just get out of bed. I mean, mm-hmm. really like the hardest thing in, in about being in bed and getting up is the getting up part. Yeah. Right. So, uh, <laughs> but I'll sit there to get my mind active is I started playing games of chess. Oh, interesting. To like, to just start working my mm-hmm. mind, mm-hmm. like, okay, here's a situation. How, how do I yeah. improve it on, yeah. on that? Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's good or bad, but, mm-hmm. but it's something. Sounds like you're, it's different than getting re- emotionally reactive to something. Oh like, yeah, and it's easy. Yeah, it's easy. I mean, just yeah. look at any news story. Period. Oh gosh, I know. Anywhere. I know. Well, they're written, don't start with politics. Don't start your day. We won't. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Don't eat, end your day with that either. Um, <laughs> yeah, they're they're written to emotion. I mean, to to me, modern media. This job is to grab our attention. Oh, totally. And the way they do that is to manipulate our emotions. So that's really what it's all about. If you don't want to like have your emotions like grabbed onto and like drawn in, it's better just to stay away. Yeah. Well, there, yeah, it's the, what you see on the internet is meant to grab your attention. Yeah, exactly. And, and not only that, but they know what grabs your attention. Totally. They're and, using us. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. without a doubt. I mean, I yeah. work in the media. Yeah, I know. I and, know. <laughs> and so like when you look at a website that the way it's titled yeah. will like, would you like, I am, I'm in charge sometimes of, of titling or uh, giving a, a certain story, um, a headline. Yeah. Okay. Well, is that how, what would make people click on that headline? Yep. Uh, that's exact. I say that exact thing. Why would people, why does that interest someone? Mm-hmm. But it's also part of how can we get them that information that, right. how do we get you that to go, this is, this is something important yeah. that you should know about. Yeah. 
how do we get them to yeah. actually acknowledge that yeah. you know earthquake safety is important? Right, exactly. When the when the information is useful, that's great because yeah. it's leading us. But when the information is not that useful or it's not even accurate or whatever, mm. then we're sort of being I don't know. It feels like junk food. You know, we're just being fed stuff that's not healthy. Um, I have a student had a student who was struggling with this, who was really um, media addicted and in my mindfulness class, and they all choose a project that they want to do, like bring mindfulness into your life in a particular way that's going to be meaningful for you and then do a project on it for a few weeks. And he decided what he would do is not check any media before 10 a.m. and see what it was like. So he did that as a practice for some number of weeks and and then wrote about what the experience was like. So to me, that's that's a way of like, I recognize this is a problem. It doesn't feel good to me. What do I want to do? And he chose that as a solution. And I tried a solution for a while. I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. Let me see how that goes. And for a while I did it. And it was actually really nice. So there was like this spaciousness in the beginning of my day where there wasn't any media at all. So what the, then what do you do in that time, right? Have a cup of coffee, for me, tea, do a little yoga, talk to people, read a book, you know, all those kinds of things. And it started my day in a really different way. Um, but, and you know, your solution or my solution might be different than his, but it comes from that impulse of like, A isn't working for me. I want something else. What arises as the thing I want? Um, become To me, that's bringing kind of mindfulness and then a practice to an awareness practice to um, anything that isn't quite, you know, doesn't fit quite right in life. What is your, do you have a goal with mindfulness? You just want, do you want, do you have like. Me personally? Yeah. Is it, do you want to bring mindfulness to everyone or. Um, Well, interesting question. Um, Or maybe not you personally, but where where do you see mindfulness in progressing or mindfulness. So I, I trained as a psychologist and I was drawn to the field of psychology because I was looking for solutions to my own troubles. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's really common. So I went through years of training and practice and working with different therapies and different therapists and a lot of benefit to all of that. But there was always like, there was a little something that I wasn't able to like fix or address that something that was nagging at me that I couldn't do anything about. And this particular practice gave me a new skill that helps me with a lot of the things that were troubling me before that traditional psychotherapy and traditional sort of approaches that we use to better our lives didn't touch. And because that feels so valuable to me, I'm willing to spend my time teaching other people how to do it and telling them about it. I think it offers something that we just don't get. It's paradoxical in a way to what we do naturally. It's not what's taught in just about any setting. It's a really different thing. And I think it's useful to know that there's so much suffering in the world, you know, like just unhappiness everywhere. And I I feel like if I can do, if I can offer anything that gives people something that will be of benefit in their lives, then that's something I want to be involved in. So that's why I do my private practice. And that's why I teach mindfulness, whether it should reach, you know, I don't know. I 
I don't really feel like an evangelist for mindfulness. <laughs> okay. Like okay. I, I feel like it's a really useful practice and I like to share it with the people that I come into contact with. I don't know if it's right for everybody. I don't know if it's right for every problem. Uh, I think it's a really good skill to have in your toolbox. Yeah. You know, uh, a friend of mine um, has this great saying, he says, inch by inch, life is a cinch. Oh, that's really great. Yeah. 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 So I think about that when I like uh, want to do large projects, like, you know, things off in the future. Yeah. You know, how do you know elephant is the same kind of a thing, you know, one bite at a time. But yeah. Yeah. You just got to do it. Just, and yeah. so it, it kind of sounds like, you know, am I, I would like to be able to move humanity forward one yeah. inch, you know, yeah. if I can just. Just to just nudge it, yeah. you know. Yeah. Just just by my being around and doing what I do, how can I just kind of just give just a little bit, you know? Uh, that's one of the reasons I do like this podcast came into being. Yeah. Is like you know I know some really cool and interesting people, yeah. and there's so many stories and yeah. What kind of knowledge do people have? How can mm-hmm. we share that? How yeah. can I get that out to people? Yeah. Um, and I, and one, I just like talking to people Yeah. and, and <laughs> one of the things that I've, that I've been told many times is that I'm a really good listener. Yeah. So being an, it, and I'm not, this is not an interview. I mean, yeah. I don't, I do feel interviewed. Uh-uh. <laughs> okay. Not at all. We're <laughs> just what? talking. We're having a conversation yeah, with microphones and headphones. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a conversation, which is, you know, <laughs> and just the, the name itself is just really almost yeah. self-aggrandizing, but and it's the worst name ever. It's just horrible, but I love it at yeah, the same cute. time. It's, it's clever. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and so, uh, yeah, so th- this whole mindfulness thing is like maybe moving your life, just to, just nudge it mm-hmm. in the right direction. Try to do that mm-hmm. a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then every little bit helps, really. And it's been changing, life-changing for me. It's not the only thing that's helped me in my life. I definitely wouldn't say mindfulness and nothing else but mindfulness but it's a it's one of the skills that I go back to over and over again and when I started bringing it into my clinical practice as a psychologist and using it there it really enhanced a lot of the work that I was doing because it offers people something that they just haven't I we just don't nobody teaches us how to do this you mean I can be okay just as I am like I don't actually have to change anything that is magnificent you know, as a starting place, like to just be with experience. Be, yeah, be okay with yourself. Wow. Just as you are. And then if you want to change something, you can, but there isn't any like demand or expectation or requirement to do it. And the capacity to be with my own experience, whatever arises, with that kind of acceptance has created this ability to just not run so much from painful stuff or try to create the best possible version of myself. I can just be with who I am. Like whatever my bad habit is, well, that's, you know, it does, it's embarrassing sometimes. Well, let me be with my embarrassment around that. Like, yeah. It's just a really different approach. It's a, it's like change through non-change and it's really, um, it's really a relief. Wait, wait, just hang on. To this. I know, I know. It's kind change of. Change through non-change. Yeah. And it's, so, it's head warping. 
Yeah. <laughs> change through non-change. Yeah. I'm going to write that down. Okay. Change through non-change. Yeah. So when you, in your practice, uh-huh. so you tell people, okay, just basically be happy with who you are. And that is life changing just by yeah, not, not making them change. Exactly. There's, um, There's a whole tradition in psychology, which I adore, and it's very aligned with this work, even though it was never, they, the two were never connected. Mm. The work of um, Carl Rogers. Oh, yeah. You probably know him. Mm-hmm. He he had this amazing breakthrough. Like, if, if you and I relate to one another, and I pay attention to you and listen to you and provide you with a, a human warmth and acceptance, no matter what you're bringing to the table... Like in the context of that experience, being heard and being allowed to be who you are, you will naturally grow to be your best self. You'll naturally, it's almost like a, it's like an innate um, healing. Just like, like if you cut yourself, you know, the body heals. It's Mm -hmm. like psychically, if we have the right conditions, we, much of the time there's probably exceptions, but like we, we just know what we need to change and we can do it. So that's what this practice is really doing. It's creating the conditions, like in therapy, like I do do that and I help people to do that for themselves. Like show up for yourself and really pay attention to what your experience is as it really is and allow it without having to modify it or judge it or figure it out. Just let it be, like kind of be present to it, like a friend sitting on the couch next to you, just being together. And from that starting place of... That's to me, that is mindful awareness. Everything else just kind of naturally arises and people will feel like lots of times people feel this incredible relief at like, oh, this is the truth and it's okay. There's just like this relaxing relief from inside and they'll just get inspired to like change. Hmm. That's what I mean. Like you don't have to change. Everything is fine. Let's just create acceptance and presence and this kind of warm, you know, allowing. And then you'll know if you want to do anything differently or you don't. Hmm. That That's big. That's huge. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's the, why it's so, that's why it's, to me, that's why it's one of the skills we should have. Because that's not the mess. that's not the message we get, right? Hmm. Most of us are told, be better, do more work harder. And there's nothing wrong with those messages. Like there's a place for those also, but we need to have this alternative point of view around, especially around our suffering to, um, be able to be aware and present of what the experience is and then let it be what it is without needing to turn away from it or change it at least initially. At what point in your, so uh, as a psychologist using mindfulness, that has, there has to be some kind of a point where this isn't going to work for this person. They actually need to change their behaviors. Well, um, I think of it as like a two-step. I just did punching, but like it's a (laughs) two-step. The first step is to be mindfully aware, to like show up and feel the experience in its you know, full truth and allow it to be. And then the the second step, which is not mindfulness, 
Mindfulness is just those two things. The The next step, the second step is to decide if you want to do something different. Mm-hmm. And if there's something that's happening that doesn't feel good or that isn't aligned with your values or isn't quite right, yes, of course, we can, in, we can create intention to change. But the change process looks and feels really different when you start from a foundation of mindfulness oh. rather than starting from a foundation of there's something wrong with me and I need to fix it. Because you're starting with, there's this thing that's happening in me, and this is the experience of it, and I'm trying to understand it better and know it better. That's a different foundation. Yeah. It doesn't, it's not filled with judgment. There's not quite as much like pressure. You don't feel as much shame around it usually. Uh, so um, people change in my practice, you know, so they like, it really is a play, a starting place for, oftentimes it's, it, people haven't been able to change something the other way. And when they can start to foster some of these feelings, change will start to occur in a way that hasn't happened before. That was my experience. Like there were certain walls I was up against. I was trying to think of something that I could talk about that wasn't abstract. Um, Nothing's coming to mind right now, but there's this this way in which um, if we think there's something wrong with us that needs fixing, whenever we encounter it internally, we'll sort of get judgmental and we'll be frustrated and start to set goals and take action. and Because some, we're broken. Right, because we're broken. We need to fix it. it yeah. yeah, exactly. And if you if you do that, it may work, but it might not work. And then you get frustrated and you think, oh, God, I can't even fix myself. Like, it's such a simple thing and I won't even follow through. Like dieting, for example, That's right? That's so hard. Yeah. Like, I, I, it's, you know what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to eat a little less and be a little more active and then you'll lose weight. But so many people know those things. They try to do those things and they can't seem to make it happen. If the starting place is I'm fat and that makes me like not an attractive person and my life isn't going to go well and people don't like me, I have to fix it. Mm-hmm. Versus, well, I'm overweight and I I experience some personal dis- dissatisfaction around that. It affects my health. But, you know, I'm just going to be present to the fact that I'm overweight and these feelings arise for me and, and see what happens when I do that. Then oftentimes what will move out of that place is something that's more creative and, and maybe even some insight around what gets in the way of exercise or what prompts uh, eating potato chips every night, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Did that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. um, you, you basically are, uh, becoming more aware yeah. of, of why you do that, but don't be so self-doubtful. Yeah. Self-critical. Self-critical. Yeah. yeah. Uh, acceptance seems to be a big part of it's this huge. mindfulness yeah. thing. It's like, it's, yeah. it's okay. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. And then, well, if, if this is, think about it and if it is something that you want to change, well, then how do you want to change it? And why sounds like a big deal too. Yeah. yeah. The, the big question. Uh, yeah. Yeah, because it's internal motivation. Um, if I'm trying to change something and I'm not changing it, I may like spend a little time with that experience, you know, being aware of what's all the pieces and go, oh, I actually don't care. <laughs> right? I just realized that. That's why I'm not doing it, because I don't care. Somebody else told me I was supposed to do it. Yeah. Yeah. That's huge, actually, right? Like mm-hmm. to figure out, oh, that's because... You know, society is telling me this is the way I'm supposed to be. But when I really am present to my experience, I realize, like, that doesn't matter to me at all. 
I want to put my energy into this other thing. Yeah, you know, you have to yeah. want to make that change yeah. in order yeah. to change. Yeah, absolutely. That's pr- Will is really important. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. And sometimes, I don't know, I, I don't think I'm different than other people. I don't always know. It takes me a little while to actually know what matters to me and what doesn't matter to me. Mm-hmm. Like some things are really clear and I know them. But other things I, th- I, might, I might think this matters and it doesn't. Or I might think that something doesn't matter and when I spend time with it, it really does. Mm-hmm. And to me, the process of mindfulness, that's one of the values of it. It helps me to like really connect to what's true inside. And then the, what to do about it which is what my step two is, um, oh. is easier. If, if I, it's more clear. It's, it comes more readily. Yeah. Yeah, you know, a finding, uh, it, it, like in life, it's not so, it's finding what path you want to take mm-hmm. is the most difficult thing. Mm-hmm. Like that search is yeah. very hard. But once you know the path you want to take, you just, yeah. you, it's, it makes your life is easier. Okay, I'm going this yes. way. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. You know where to go. Mm-hmm. Especially when you work with college students. I mean, what do I do after college? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Yeah. You know, I'm, yeah. Um, to, I'm just going to make a point here that my, my issue with college in general or university is they want you to know what you're going to do for quite a while, quite, quite a bit of your life and spend a lot of money on something that you have to know in a very short period of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you're really young. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, uh, part of that, it took me eight years to mm-hmm. get my college degree. And part of that was I've, I was a, I started off being wanted to be a teacher. I wanted to be a psychologist. I wanted to uh, be an actor. Mm-hmm. I, and I just kind of found, you know, the raid local, the campus radio station. Yeah. I'm like, this is pretty good. Is why I kind of, I kind of, why I can get a degree in this? Get, get out, you know. And then I just stuck with it. Yeah, yeah. It was yeah. lots of fun, and so yeah. you know, and, and yeah. it's and it's worked out. Yes, you know, yeah. worked out fairly well. Yeah, not a lot of uh, radio people can do it for you know as a career. It's a, it's a tough business. Yeah, but uh, yeah, that whole thing of that if you, you people need time yeah. to do that, but they're not given that time. Yeah. So. And, and they're they start they're stressing out. They know this. Mm. Yeah, the the expectations are really difficult. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, there's a, a kind of a question that's been um, that's on my mind, and I w- uh, would like your opinion on this. And there is, I think, in our culture in the United States, there where they're taking things that have people have done in their past, like when they were teenagers or 20 years old where they made big mistakes mm-hmm. um, and our culture is punishing them. They want to ruin their lives. Mm-hmm. From this point on, what you did back then was so bad mm-hmm. that we're going to punish you from this point forward and ruin your life. Yeah. Is there, there needs to be some way forward mm-hmm. where we can accept them for their mistake and they can acknowledge that mistake and move forward. Yeah. Any, any thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, this is like, I mean, this is just personal, my, kind of my personal opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, that the healing process, you know, like how we can move forward. Uh, I'm thinking about like countries that have been war torn and the aggressor and the country that was aggressed against have to sometime, somehow come to terms after the war is over and move on, live 
in harmony. A lot of times they talk about um, reconciliation and this process of like doing apologies and and uh, mending or making right whatever was harmed by the person who was the aggressor, mm -hmm. for example. I think forgiveness and moving on oftentimes involves something like that, an acknowledgement of wrongdoing if there was wrongdoing, um, sincere repairing. Um, and one of the things that happens in our culture, I think, is we don't allow people to do apologies and make uh, sincere repairs and without uh, seeing them as weak. We associate um, acknowledgement of a mistake and repair as weakness. And I think that that gets in the way. So it's very hard. Like I'm thinking about the Sup Supreme Court Justice Kavanaugh. Mm -hmm. Like for if he would have said, yes, I did this. I'm incredibly sorry that I did this. I didn't mean to cause any harm. Like to me, that's the process of repair that leads to forgiveness and reconciliation. But if he would have done that, he would have been seen as not strong enough to be a Supreme Court justice, I think. I think in our political realms that basic human decency many times around errors is viewed as not appropriate. It keeps people in these like these places where they can't admit to wrongdoing. Yeah, an apology is such a huge thing. Yeah. I mean, it's a very, I mean, it just, um, arguments with like my, at least so yeah, as an example, yeah, we have yeah. an argument, you're upset, move yeah. away from it for a bit, come back and just apologize. Yeah. Just, just apologize. Clear the air. I'm sorry. I got mad. Yeah. That's, that's a huge thing. Just, totally. just, just apologize. Yeah. And you, you, there's no face lost. You're, you're, you are sorry. Yeah. Because you know, the, the strife within a, such a tight relationship is not good <laughs> you want to yeah. you want to keep everything happy yeah but uh yeah i think you're right that it, in our culture that is seen as a weakness in in our political leaders in particular yeah. you know the public figures and so i think that the other side can be tempted like if there isn't a process of that you know reconciliation repair process then other it's not resolved you know there are these things that are left unresolved and nobody's taking responsibility and so a temptation to pull somebody down because of it, which doesn't feel like the right answer either. Like, how can you be responsible when you're 50 for what you did when you're 14? I don't know. Like, we've. I was an idiot. <laughs> we're just, uh, we, we're developing, you know? And I have no, I don't even want to look at my, I don't even want to know. <laughs> yeah, I exactly. Was a, I was an idiot. I'm yeah. showing me this 14 year old, yeah. pimply faced. Yeah. What's going on? Where where did this hair come from? <laughs> <laughs> totally all that. Yeah. Well, and they and they talk about like the way that we learn, you know, developmentally how we grow. We have to try things out and make mistakes and then realize that isn't the right thing or isn't the right thing for us and then try a different strategy. So, there has to be room for mistakes and even some stupid mistakes maybe. Um, I have some problems with violent mistakes, like that stuff to me, I don't know, like I, I think that I think this is my personal opinion at any age, if we've been reared in a way that has instilled values, we're going to know that we're not supposed to be violent to other people and that that's not a developmental stage. Um, so I don't know about those ones. Those ones are a little bit more gray for me. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh so difficult. Yeah. Yeah. It's a tough question, you know, but I wish that I, there, 
because there has to be some way, like you said, as a what, what you said, uh, reconciliation and repair, repair mm-hmm. that uh, we're missing. I think the reconciliation sometimes is not very sincere. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, you know the the non apology. Right. Get over it, or yeah. I didn't do it. Yeah. Yeah. There's all. Yeah. Let's. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, okay. But backing up for the because <laughs> I immediately go to politics yeah. when yeah. I think I didn't do it. Like yeah. you did too. Uh, <laughs> we have a videotape <laughs> of it. <laughs> Transcript. Uh, what do you want? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, totally. Let's not go down that one. Yeah. It's a, yeah. But that, again, that that comes back to you know how do we how do you get people to because you know it, what's strange is in our culture like people who have committed murder yeah. admitted to kill, killing murder getting murdered but they or doing murder and then coming out of prison and then being accepted as yeah. as reformed. Yeah. But making a mistake when you're younger and then it comes back to haunt you yeah. at, you know, yeah. forty years later. Yeah. Um but there yeah. isn't a process to come clean with that. I yeah, mean, I, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. To me it feels like it's part of our political spectrum. Like the if the murderer tried to run for office, they might encounter the same problems there. I don't know if they would or not, but my sense is our political domain doesn't, it plays by a set of rules that are not very, they're not very human, really. They don't allow. It's a blood sport. I've I've been, I've heard it called. Yeah. I think that, and it's, to me, I, I don't, the people who are in leadership in the way that they're sort of pressured to act isn't in accordance with the value system I have for human beings. Like I don't really value them as moral people because they're not moral people. So they're not, I don't see them as like strong leaders, but they're the characteristics that are sort of demanded of them in order to advance in a political career. It feels really weird to me, actually. So, yeah. And so well, getting back to the mindfulness thing. Yeah. So if we are to act mindful yeah. of how could how can mindfulness help with that? Well, it's interesting. There's a, um, there's a, I don't know if he's a senator or representative. His name's Tim Ryan. I believe he lives in Ohio. I think hmm. he's a rep. Not sure. Anyway, he's a he's a meditator, and he's written a book on the way we can bring mindfulness into the political arena. Really? Yes, and it's fascinating. And he believes that it can make a huge difference because people can, if you're mindful, you can you can be aware of a little more aware of the way your emotions are being manipulated. You can be a little more aware of what really matters to you, and is this person in alignment with what really matters to you? Like, it's not as easy to get caught up in like just the flow of a discussion if you're staying really mindfully aware. Hmm. And so you can bring all that to your voting, to your activism. And if you're a candidate, like same thing, like you can be, you can be more present. He, he actually tries to be a mindfully aware candidate and speak from his values. And, and um, that's the one I remember the most, hmm. but yeah, I think it's, I think there's a place for it. I think, I mean, I actually think that, um, for me, being mindful and bringing mindful in, mindfulness into life, so moving from uh, meditation into active mindfulness, mm-hmm. I think I just see more clearly and from seeing more clearly can make decisions that feel like they're better decisions for yeah, me. Yeah. And that's true in my political choices. We, when we were just walking into your house, we were talking mm. about environmentalism. Yeah. It's about mm-hmm. how do I want to live my environmental values and what does it take to do that? Yeah. And um, 
day-to-day interactions. I do this a lot in my day-to-day interactions. Mm-hmm. Like if somebody is uh, rude to me, how am I going to respond to that? You know, like how do I bring my practice, this this commitment that I've made to being aware and in alignment with my values and being good to myself to interactions with people, whether they're good to me or not good to me, what do I do? Mm-hmm. I think it just creates the possibility for improving so many domains of life. And the be kind. Yeah, the be kind is, you know, that's my own gig, but like <laughs> that, that one's important to me. I, I find that, um, when people are kind to me, I'm a better person. I, it brings out the best me. And interestingly enough, when I'm kind to other people, that brings out the best me also. I actually feel better about who I am and tend to bring better things into the world in my actions and in my words. And it's quite amazing. What I've learned is that I just don't have to follow every impulse that I have to get retribution or one up somebody. And it's pretty amazing to just choose not to do that because it's not what I want to do. It doesn't make me feel lesser. It makes me feel good about who I am. So. You know, I've got a story about that because okay. it's, I've, I've been thinking about this a lot. It's one of those yeah. things that goes yeah, through yeah, your head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me your story. So the, I was going to work the other day yeah. and um, I'm in the left-hand lane. I had just passed some guy, big SUV kind of a thing. Uh-huh. And so I'm going faster than he is, but he's pacing me. Like, uh-huh. you know, yeah. so yeah. like he's, there's not a car that's close behind me. I'm like, okay, that's all right. Do you want to pace me? That's fine. Yeah. Until I get to the point where I have to take a right. So yeah. I need to get into the right-hand lane. So I speed up. Uh-huh. He speeds up. Uh-oh. And then so I'm like, so I go speed up a little faster. Well, he speeds up a little faster, so I can't get into the right-hand lane. I'm like, okay, well, why are you being such a jerk, right? Mm-hmm. And so I just slow down and I look over like, why are you being a jerk? And he flips me off. <laughs> and I'm like, what What did I do yeah. to this guy? Yeah, exactly. I, and I, I have no idea. Yeah. I have no idea what yeah. I did to this guy, yeah. random, if anything. Random hostility. Yeah, random, <laughs> yeah. And and uh, so then, okay, so I, I get behind him and we both take the right same right. So then we get, we go a little bit down the road and there's a big puddle. Well, he has to splash the puddle so it gets onto my car. Uh-huh. And I'm like, that is assault. I was just yeah. assaulted by this guy. Yeah. I mean, with yeah. the, the finger and yeah. then he assaulted, yeah. that's yeah. assault. I was yeah. assaulted. Yeah. And I'm, and I just go, I don't need this. Yeah. I don't need that. It, affect, it still affects me. Like I'm yeah. st- I can still feel yeah. anger get in, yeah. you know, a little, yeah. get inside me. And then, uh, and so I finally thought, you know, eventually I just like, I think that it was like some, at some level, I, that is a karma. Uh-huh. <laughs> you yeah. know, I don't really believe in karma, but you yeah. know, you do things, actions in your car that may have affected other people that I'm sure that I do that I'm unaware of yeah. because everybody else is an asshole yeah. that's around yeah, you. Yeah, You're yeah, the yeah, one yeah. that drives yeah, well. Yeah. So um, I just kind of think, okay. I, I got my retribution for some idiot thing that I had done in the past. Okay, so you're evening your score somehow. Yeah, you know, and just and just like that that helped me to like yeah. let it go. Yeah, I mean, what am I going to do? Go search for this guy totally. and then yeah. you know splash water on his car. I and know. Then, I then know. what does that do? Then you're in an escalation, right? Yeah. Like, and if, it, or if and I it, follow him after that, sure, it just doesn't feel good. I know these are tricky. To me, these are tricky moments, and I've spent a lot of time thinking about them. I don't oh, have mm-hmm. all the answers for sure, because <laughs> they're because they're hard and they're hard to let go of when yeah. somebody does something that's just outright inappropriate or rude. And um, 
I, I mean, my tricks are like to try to imagine that they must be having such a shitty day or something's going on in their life that's making them act shitty that I have no awareness of so that I can sort of extend a, um, I can let go. I can say, okay, you get to be a shit because you probably have something shitty going on in your life or somebody's being mean to you or somebody was mean to you long ago. Like, why else would you act like this? I have a, um, I did a TED Talk on my kindness thing a couple of years ago. And I watched I, it. Good job. Oh, you did? Oh, thank you. Yeah, I have mixed feelings about it. But anyway, <laughs> um, it uh, the story in there is is like that happens to me all the time. I live on Taylor Street, which runs right alongside the campus. Hmm. On one side, there's the campus, and on the other side, there's a set of apartment buildings. And students treat that street like it's one wide crosswalk so they they oftentimes don't pay they don't stop for cars and they don't pay attention when cars are there so people can just be walking out at any time any place along this kind of block and a half length of street and i drive a prius which is a really quiet car so people don't hear me coming and a number of times i've had people just walk right out in front of me and the story that i told in the ted talk was like somebody walked right he was skateboarded right out in front of me it scared me to death because i thought i was going to hit him i honk my horn which was which was automatic you know response and he turned around and flipped me off and i'm like wait a second you just like skateboarded in front of me i just stopped so i didn't hit you and you flipped me off. And it, I carried it and I was pissed. And it wasn't until I realized, oh, he was scared too. And he turned his fear into anger. And what I got was his anger and not his fear. That his, his finger was really, he was afraid. And, mm-hmm. didn't, and he wasn't mindful. So if he was mindful, he would go, I'm scared to death. And now I just want to hurt people. And I, I want to flip this lady off, but she doesn't deserve it. She just stopped for me. Like if he was aware of all of that, like chain reaction in himself, it might not have done the automatic flipping off. Maybe. Who yeah, knows? It's your fault. Yeah. Well, and, th- and that's what we do. Like we go, like once we're angry, we're not rational. We think we're right. You know, like it's just really common. So that's a great place to be mindfully aware, really, to know that anger leads to self-righteousness. So if I get self-righteous when I'm angry, I just need to go, wait a second. Is that really true? Is that the whole story? Is that the only way it could be? So that I don't say or do things that, for me, that are not aligned with my preference to not be hostile or mean to people. That's got to be tough because college students can really be so... Uh, I work with college students as yeah, well. Yeah. They can just be so infuriating. Oh, they can totally be that way. Well, my my um my way out. <laughs> I'm not alone. <laughs> no, no, no. They can be, and they're they're self absorbed, and they're like, mm. they're so sure they're right, and all these things. I just I when I'm interacting, like if it's not in a car, it's hard when you're in a car. But if you're having an interaction with a person, I just tell them. You know, I just try to speak the truth of the situation. If I'm angry, they've done something that makes me angry. Like, why are you, why are you, if I could have talked to this guy, like, why are you flipping me off? You realize you just skateboarded in front of my car, right? Like, does it make sense that you would be angry at me when I just, I was just letting you know that you were in front of my car. And oftentimes, you know, that sort of interaction, they'll go, oh, no, 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 I'm sorry. It's just, I was inappropriate. I was just riled up or you know, not everybody can do that, but yeah. a, lo- a lot of people will do that. That's difficult mm-hmm. to, 
to acknowledge. Yeah, totally. Yeah. 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 I, we, what else should we talk about? Is there something? I don't know. I can't think. I think feel like we've covered so much of the territory that, I mean, the only thing I ever want to say about mindfulness when I've talked Mm -hmm. to people and there's a possibility that people will listen is, um, to give it time. Like this is one of those practices, like going to the gym, I think is a pretty good example. You wouldn't want to give up after the first time. If you're trying to get your body fit and you're out of shape, you really want to spend some time with it. It's a practice that can be, it can take some investment. It's not always rewarding moment by moment, but the over the long term, it is. So just sort of um, a little cheerleading for maybe don't give up, um, keep at it. And one of the ways to keep at it is to do it with other people, to mm. not do it alone so that you can talk to other people. When I teach classes, like part of what we're doing in the classes is talking about what was it like for you to do that practice and what came up for you? And people will talk about their struggles and their triumphs and the, and that, and the context of sharing, um, really helps because you realize, Oh, (laughs) sometimes you never calm down (laughs) the whole meditation. You never calm down. And that's not so weird. It happens to other people too. It's okay. It's not that I'm a failure or that I'm not good at this or that it's stupid. Mm. It's just this day I was, you know, my mind was active or I couldn't settle down. So, um, doing it with other people, it's nice to have a teacher. I think like, uh, sometimes lots of people will hear that as like, I should have a spiritual teacher, a meditation teacher, you know, like a Buddhist teacher or Hindu teacher or whatever. Um, there's secular mindfulness teachers and they can really support your practice. Like it's a, it's not the easiest thing to master solo can be done. Definitely. It's, It's a lot easier to do it with a group of comrades. Um, and ideally if you have somebody who has a little bit of experience or training who can help, um, just talk about all the things that arise and how to create a framework for understanding them. Great. Thank you so much for coming in. I really appreciate yeah, you uh, was, doing the, this was, conversation. It was super fun to talk with you. I, oh, lo- you. I love that you invited me, and it was really nice to get to talk about something that I care so much about. And w- and with this much spaciousness, this feels like mindfulness to me. Like, we didn't have to rush it. We didn't have to fit it into, like, a little box no. uh, in between six other things that we were trying to make happen. Yeah, so. you know, that's a, the something that I was mindful of yeah. is that when I started to do these uh, conversations, um, the mode uh, basically of, of a podcast is it should be, if you want people to listen to it, make it short, Yep. make it 20 minutes or less. Yep. So that was what I tried to do. I talked to people for about an hour and mm-hmm. I cut it down to 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And, but then I'm like, you know what? I, it's so much work. Mm-hmm. To take an hour, sixty minutes, and make it twenty—that is a lot of time and effort. And then, and and I don't mind putting in that time and effort, but I wasn't—I was getting good. It was very good. It was very punchy, as mm-hmm. they call it. Like, okay, you're in, you're in, you're getting all the mm-hmm. good stuff right now. Mm-hmm. But what I discovered was was I like to listen to like these longer form things like a Joe Rogan is a very famous one or a WTF with Mark Marin is another one where they talk long form and they get good information. But what I discovered after talking to people for about an hour is there's, there's, it changes. Mm-hmm. You talk like the first 10 to 15 minutes, people are very guarded. Yeah. I'm, I'm in this strange position. I'm in the strange area. I don't know what's going to happen. What's he going to ask me? Yeah. Am I going to put my foot in my mouth? Am mm-hmm. I going to say something I don't want to say? Mm-hmm. And then after about an hour, 
you know, mm-hmm. it really changes to yeah. you get to you get different reactions. You yeah. in that the topics change because yeah. you're on. You can basically stay on task with what the information you want to give in about an hour. Yeah. Um, about as long as a class, right? Yeah. And yeah. then once you go longer than that, it it, it changes. Comfort yeah. seems to happen. Yeah. Um, an awareness. Yeah. A mindfulness. Yeah, that, that's what uh, it feels like. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and so it, so my thought was just just talk. Yeah, and see how far it goes, and then when you know, okay, that's it. So so we talked for you know right now it's two hours and five minutes. Mm-hmm. So you know, not don't worry about the time. The yeah. time does not matter. Yeah, I mean, exactly. We, we're, this is a forum where that that where where is it said that you know there's that you have to keep it to a certain amount of time. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They have all the time you want. Yeah. It's a podcast. Yeah, yeah. You can talk for days. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, yeah. it's the 24-hour podcast <laughs> marathon. There's something so relaxing, actually, about that, you know, to just let it be what it is. It reminds me so much of that aspect of mindfulness, right? Let it let it unfold how it unfolds, and it's good just how it is. Yeah. And it creates that this feeling that you're talking about of, something natural and organic and good. Yeah. And, and, you know, it, I don't want to interview. I, I, I like the idea of interviewing people mm-hmm. because, uh, I, 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 as I, I work for an NPR related f- affiliate and, um, uh, you hear a long interview is, you know, seven, eight minutes. Yeah. And that's the, the person was probably in there maybe a half an hour. Yeah. You know, so yeah. they, the person being interviewed, yeah. they have pat answers because a lot of them are book people or yeah. people yeah. at movies or yeah. wherever. Yeah. So they give kind of a, an answer that to a question that they, they anticipate. Like, right. So when you are doing this show, you know, they, they already have an answer mm-hmm. by the way, because they've done a bunch of these. They basically go on junkets yeah. and do a bunch of these. Yeah. yeah. So, this is different. Yeah, this is not Pat. Yeah, just mm-hmm. just just talk. Part of it too is for me to be open with questions asked of me. Mm-hmm. To if it's a conversation, it can't be one sided. Yeah. Right. Uh, right. Yeah. Well, it was lovely. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Really appreciate you. Mindfulness, pretty interesting, isn't it? What well, you know, now that you've heard about mindfulness, it's gonna pop up everywhere. I and mean, when I heard about it at first, it's like, man, mindfulness, mindfulness, mindfulness just seemed to pop up in all kinds of different locations on the internet, uh, people in conversation. Mindfulness just started to appear, and um, so I started practicing it. Maybe you will too. Who knows, right? But um, I enjoyed Jamie again. Thank you, Jamie Derek, for coming in, uh, doing a conversation with me. We conversated, and thanks to the Moscow Brewing Company for sponsoring this podcast. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Go get a beer. Thank you for listening. Really, I I so appreciate every listener, and you are a listener. Thank you. That's it, folks. I'm Tom Cocaine. Over and out. <laughs>